Welcome to part two of the 66th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we chat about murder. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thanks so much for listening to part one of the horrific murder of Adriana Zimmerman. Forewarning, our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we do use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but I must warn you, we might make jokes during this podcast and laugh a lot. We probably will. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our social media pages. We drop a new episode every Friday morning, so be sure to list, to subscribe to our podcast on your play, favorite platform so you don't miss out. And thanks so much for listening. If you're even slightly entertained by our Southern charm, please leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. And if you're not happy with us, reach out and let us know how we can improve. Also, spread the word and recommend our podcast to your friends and family or hey, even your enemies. That's right. Even your enemies. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hey, especially yeah. if you hate us, recommend us to your enemies. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> How was your week? I'm good. Good. Doing, you know, not making it. Make it. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. Uh, they did a lot of research on my murder, my upcoming murder, and the other one that I'm doing after that so oh look at you being all prepared well that's because when I'm almost finished with the researching the one that I'm doing then I kind of get bored with it and start researching my next one and then I'll go back and finish the one that I have to oh gotcha. kind of look you know it's kind of like when you know the story and you know how you're going to tell it and then you're just ready to do fresh murders <laughs> I watched um so I um DVR the 2020 thing that comes on Friday night the mm-hmm. 2020 series and I watched I'm going back and listening to uh, watching them from a year back and the one that I watched last night was on John Lennon oh really yeah and you know I'd never been a I had never been a huge fan of his I I, I mean I like I thought I've heard he was quite the jerk I have a new understanding of him like oh, really should, yeah he was um very intelligent very creative like true artist i don't know i have a new respect for him after watching that and of course that's that's a bias that but 2020 i felt did a really good documentary on him oh well good yeah i i told you i had i had something to tell you about heinous the word heinous oh yeah heinous that rhymes with anus uh your favorite word yeah you know i i love law and order yeah there is a new law and order okay and stabler's back so it's law and order suv organized crime organized crime Ooh. yes Ooh. i've and watched you're a fan of stabler you like stabler right yes is uh olivia on it she does a couple of like the first one was a crossover between oh, the two. okay so they yeah there was like a big crossover and something happened and then now he's got his own series okay I thought it was exciting. I, I, t- I don't know. I took a step back from Law and Order for a few years mm-hmm. and then I just started rewatching, you know, watching it again. I was the like, one which the one that has the oh God, the dude that gets on my nerves. The big it's um criminal intent. Is there a criminal intent? Yeah, he was the one that um that was like law and order criminal intent. Yes. And he, he was uh Sergeant Pyle from uh, full metal jacket that guy that's he's like super creepy he can play he plays like a, either a really 
like passion it's, it's something i'll look it up i'll look it up one while you're telling your story and then i will shout out ah it's that guy yeah i mean he's done lots of stuff but that's the guy who played sergeant pile in uh so, or not sorry private pile private pile in full metal jacket law and order criminal intent okay. and you know my kids have been able to quote full metal jacket since they were like three well I'm not sure if that's a great thing or not. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes, that's oh, him. His character gets on my nerves. He has the same tone and the same nuances in his speech with every case. Yeah. So it's just a little bit annoying. That's funny. Anyway, yeah. All right. So you're going to continue. You told us a, a heinous story last oh, week. I did golly but will you remind me because you know my brain okay so it was um and really you know i i kind of was going back on the fourth on the title like i wasn't trying to make fun of them by saying trailer park yeah but um it's a catchy title yeah i mean you haven't we haven't really talked about it was just they just lived in a trailer park but um so it was the murder of our um adriana zimmerman by I guess you, I don't want to say mastermind, but like maybe like ringleader Tina Brown, her daughter Brittany Miller, yeah, okay, and um, and then another female by the name of Heather Lee. They all were they lured her over, and then yeah, they beat her with a tire iron. They beat her with their fist. They kicked her. They poured gasoline on her and set her on fire. Oh yeah, that's right. She actually lived through that for six and made it days. to. She made it to somebody's house or something, right? Yes, she did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember now. And then you, we actually had the trial. Yes. And I left off with, um, I left off with, okay, we're ending. We're going to come back. Um, it was like a real quick conclusion of the murder trials. But this week, I'm going to start off by giving more details concerning the verdict and appeal of Tina Brown. Okay. Now, I will mention the other two, but yes, mainly Tina Brown. Okay who was the mom. That's correct. So on June 21st, 2012, a jury convicted Brown on first degree murder of Adriana. During the penalty phase, many of her family members were called to testify. Um, In addition to a John Bingham and a a Dr. John Bingham and a Dr. Bailey. So Dr. Bingham and a Dr. Uh, Bailey. One is from what I gather, doesn't technically say, but I'm, I'm thinking that one is for the defense and one is for the prosecution. Okay. So Brown was born in Chicago to a Willie and Willie and Lily Coleman. Oh, <laughs> her parents are described as hard workers, but partiers. So they enjoyed going to the clubs on the weekends and they were, con- you know, where they would consume alcohol and drugs. Okay. And this lifestyle really limited the family time with Tina and her younger brother, Willie Jr. So much that the parental responsibilities kind of fell on Tina to care for herself and her brother. But when they weren't home alone, they were taken to different family members' houses. And Tina's uncle would testify also that the children would be dropped off on Friday and not picked up again until Sunday after or Sunday evening, Sunday night. Okay. I mean, that's what happened to me. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm like, well, you know. If the parents were working, it might not be, you know, as shocking for her later in life. Like, but it's just out be... partying and not spending time with their right. family or doing something right. for their family. Um, so 
one night, it was shortly after, it was a, right around uh, when Tina turned 12, her dad uh, beat their mom and she, and she left them and she left and divorced him. Lily would actually later, later be charged with child abandonment. So Willie would retain custody of the kids. Okay. The that sounds um- like my life so far. Well, except for my dad didn't beat my mom as far as I know. Right. So Brown's uncle always had suspected that maybe Willie was sexually assaulting, sexually abusing his daughter, but, and he wasn't wrong. And then, but he said that, so this is the uncle testifying that Willie would treat his daughter more like acted as if he was like her boyfriend, not her dad, not her father. Is the dad still alive at her trial or at her? Is this a sentencing? Yeah, this is a penalty phase. Okay. So no, I don't believe so because he's not ever, they're just testifying about him. They're not, um, he's not being called. But is there any proof to any of this? Like, did they call the police? No, none of that. No. She went to the grandmother, his mother, to finally have a conversation with him about, with her about this. And like, she totally flipped out on her and was like, you get out of this house and don't ever come back. You're, you're not going to accuse my son of oh, wow. abusing his children. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. She still had to live with her dad. Right. So, however, but he did ultimately, he did end up getting remarried. So the sexual assault, the sexual abuse kind of, the sexual abuse stopped. Okay. Seemed to stop at that time when he married his second wife, Melinda. But again, the uncle testified and, and I didn't write down the uncle's name, but I'm, almost certain that the uncle is the dad's brother so he he, but he what he testified to he testified that the sexual abuse did seem to stop but the household became very dysfunctional with the addition of melinda and at first melinda and tina really got along but that would change it would deteriorate so willie and melinda would lock themselves in their room for hours drinking and doing drugs it's like she was a hardcore drug dealer drug addict and she would become verbally abusive when she was messed up so like i'm saying like i said her and tina got along really well until Mm -hmm. like the drugs and the alcohol it just like took over her life do we Um, know the age difference between okay Melinda would would eventually introduce Brown to drugs and then force her to engage in sexual acts for money. Of course. So, yeah. So the stepmom, while the dad wasn't sexually abusing her, the, the, I mean, you know, the, the stepmom by proxy was, if she was forcing her Mm -hmm. stepdaughter to have sex with men for money. So were these people ever charged for these crimes? No. So she was pimping out her stepdaughter at a young age. Yeah. It also would be revealed that Brown's father was an enforcer for a gang and ran the gang's drug operation out of his garage. And the FBI would, would investigate him and he actually spent a year in jail. So this is like all up to her high school years. And this is still in Chicago area. Yes, I'm assuming so, because it actually didn't tell me where this was taking place, but I know it wasn't Pensacola. Okay. Because she moves there later. Um, 
so she tried going to live with her mom, but her mom had gotten kind of into a structured living environment and she had rules. Right. So that wasn't really working for Tina, who really didn't have a whole lot of rules other than have sex for money. So the mom, the mom ended up saying, you can't stay here anymore. So it sounds like the mom, the way they worded it, the structured living environment. So to me, that made it sound like she got her life back together and kind of, maybe she was like in some sort of sober living environment or had, had been through a program. Okay. I could be totally wrong there, but just the way that was structured living environment. I mean, maybe she just finally, you know, she left the abusive husband, she stopped doing drugs and she got her life together. Which is what I hope happened. Yes. Well, her mom kicked her out because she clearly wasn't abiding by the rules or Mm -hmm. the structured living environment. So she made her leave. Well, then she bounced around between four different schools in four years and actually dropped out of school for a year. But she did go back to graduate. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. So like I said, she did leave school for a year, but she went back. That's a big deal. She went back to graduate. And did she, I mean, she didn't have any children at this point yet. Okay. So she graduated high school. She didn't get pregnant. Yes. However. That's that's responsible. Yes. However, she would move into a drug house. During, while she was at school or after Um, after she graduated. Okay. She moved into a drug house where she would actually meet the father of her three children, Greg Miller. There was a history of domestic violence between these two. The first child was born with it's a um, cocaine positive, not like addicted to cocaine, but had cocaine in its system when they blood tested it when okay. it was born. During so then, then she got pregnant again, and shortly after getting pregnant again. She got pregnant for the third time. And so after- she had three children. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Oh, so they're all very close in age, her children. Yes. Um, I think, I don't know the ages of the children, aside from the last one, but the, the I, there is a little bit of time between the first two, but the two and three are, I mean, she like almost immediately got pregnant. Okay. Um, like I said, there was a history of domestic violence between the two. The first child was born cooking positive. Um, during her third pregnancy, she actually would leave Miller and enter into a substance abuse program. And her third child, Brittany Miller, would be born while she was in this treatment facility. As part of her treatment plan, she agreed to allow her mother to adopt her two sons. Oh, wow. Um, Brown would stay drug-free for four years. And during this time, she was raising her daughter, you know, doing the best that she could. I mean, four years is a long, is, I mean, that's a long time to be clean. Mm -hmm. And I just hate that. Obviously she relapsed. She would get married again, but that guy would get sent to jail for selling drugs. I don't see where she ever got divorced, but she doesn't obviously get married again, but she does have really a bad run of luck with love. So she's dating the bad guys mm-hmm. um, she is getting into relationships with drug dealers and domestic abusers um, but even though she was in these relationships with them apparently she was staying drug free drug and alcohol free when her boyfriend went to jail for after they were together for two years and then he went to jail for drugs 
Okay. This was the, um, she would then fall into financial despair because he wasn't there and she was a single mom again and she racked up some speeding tickets that she just couldn't pay and she would lose her license. So you get in that cycle where then you have to pay fines and you, mm -hmm. then you have to pay probation and you can't pay your, it's awful. It's, it's I feel awful for people like that. It is a vicious cycle. And I saw that firsthand with someone that's very close to me and it's just, you know, they have to go to work. So they just drive and then they get pulled over and then they get another ticket or they get it's, arrested. And, you know, it's like, well, I have to work. Right. And if you don't know, you know, she obviously probably, no, they say she was born in Chicago, but you know, not everybody who lives in Chicago lives in downtown Chicago or can have a transit system. You know, there's some places where they might be out you know, in, in uh, well, Illinois, a Chicago suburb, you know, yeah, there might, I mean, I have no idea. There might not be this vast transit system. I mean, look where we live. The earth transit system is a joke. So, um, I mean, but it's something, but still there there's roads that they don't go down. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, ours is, it could be like that there. I, I mean, get it. You know, when you have, especially if you have young children, you have to run them to the daycare and you have to do this and do that. And you can't, it's, it's a vicious cycle and I don't, and granted, she shouldn't have been speeding. Right. But they say, um, I heard one time that a lawyer told me this or a, a lawyer's uh, paralegal said a lot of people end up in prison because yeah. of driving without a license. There's more people in prison for that than, you know, crazy, crazier things. I mean, that just blows my mind that you could go to prison for driving without, you well, know. And you know, the thing is, is that uh, okay, so my husband got in a little fender bender not too long ago, and he, it was not his fault. It was the other lady's fault. When the the state trooper got there, he's like, well, your license is suspended, sir. And my husband's like, what are you what? talking about? Okay, so we put the truck, uh, his work truck under our personal insurance. Well, I guess Geico didn't notify the state that we had switched insurance so it came back as an uninsured vehicle or something like that and so they suspended his license like well i am insured it's right here he showed him the mm -hmm. um, the on the app and everything so he still has to go to the courthouse and show that to the judge oh, which i think is crazy why does he have to go to the courthouse and do it it's yeah it was Geico's fault not ours well and well but probably anyway just that's way off topic here. right but he'll probably have to do a Zoom call, a Zoom. They're not even seeing people at the courthouse. Oh, well, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Huh? I'll let him know. <laughs> right. So she would also um, start writing bad checks. It happens. I mean, I know some people were like, I've never bounced a check in my life. Well, aren't you fucking fabulous? <laughs> um you know, I mean, she got, and so she got charged for that too. It's that cycle. It it's is. That cycle of a single, for a single mom, even single people, you know, I know what this is. So she started exotic dancing to pay the bills. And when she started that job. But exotic. I know. Exotic I, I was trying to type fast. <laughs> I'm like thinking, hmm. I know, but it didn't, it, is that a word? Because it's not saying that it's spelled wrong. <laughs> anyway. She started dancing to pay the bills, and this is when she would begin drinking and using cocaine again. Oh, okay. I mean, I would probably have to drink and do cocaine to get up there and do that too. I just feel awful because it seems like she, she just, tried so hard. 
Yeah. I mean, I know people who have done that job before and that's how they got through it Yeah, is by doing, by drinking and doing drugs. But that's still no excuse for what she did to Andriana. No, no, not at all. So for, it's just for nine years, for nine long years. For nine years? For nine years. Okay. For nine long years, she was broke, homeless, prostituting herself out for money in order to afford her habit. She continued to bounce checks. She was ordered, ultimately she was ordered into a court-ordered treatment program. And once she graduated, she was hired as an assistant manager at a bakery. I mean, that. No, she seems like she she's a, she just needed maybe not a not a hand up, but maybe just you know a boost up. Yeah, you know she, she needs a little like bit she, of help. Yeah, but I mean, like, not just anybody can walk into a a bakery and get an assistant manager job. I mean, I have my master's degree and I couldn't do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you could trust me. No, I don't think so. They would be oh, like, oh no. really? <laughs> I mean, you hire people people to bake you just boss them around you could do that yeah Yeah, I probably could (laughs) well as I stated before she had some serious relationship issues and after a fourth relationship failure she relapsed again but only for about a month and this is when she was like I'm out of here she went and moved to Pensacola Florida she got her a job at the awful waffle for those who don't know, that's the Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> Yet again, her financial situation led her to rehab, to relapse. This is when she would start having sex with Heather Lee's husband in order to obtain drugs. So Heather Lee is her friend's daughter. Wait. Heather Lee is the third woman. The third, I remember, but wasn't she like 19 or something? Yes. All right. So I, Brent, I, don't, I don't understand. I'm not following. Okay, so she killed Andriana mm-hmm. over. Remember, Andriana slept with her daughter's boyfriend. Yes, and then Adriana, she, Brittany Miller attacked her, and then Adriana hit her with the stun gun, or the taser, or whatever. And then that's when she, the mom, got pissed off that Adriana used the stun gun. So Brown would later tell a doctor Bailey that on the day of the attack, she used $700 worth of cocaine. And that that is what I I believe would be the prosecution's expert with mental health expert witness. But Dr. Bingham was her, like the defenses. She would tell Dr. Bingham that she, that she smoked not as much as she had in the past. So she was addicted to crack cocaine, not just so $700 worth of cocaine. I mean, that seems like it would be a lot on that day. Which, I mean, how much cocaine is that? I have no idea. Jonathan? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I have no idea either. I have All no right. idea. Anyway, that seems like a lot. It seems um, like it would be a lot of cocaine, but maybe it's really expensive and it's not as much as we think. I don't know. I mean, let's see. Let's find out. Hey, Siri. How much is $700 worth of cocaine? Okay, I found this. <laughs> Let's see. Cocaine retail prices. Oh, <laughs> interesting. This is a UN document. All right. I don't think I want to read that. <laughs> no. I don't know. We'll look at that later. I thought that, that was interesting that she brought that Whatever. up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
I have no idea. I don't know what a little amount of cocaine. I don't know what a big. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. So the doctors, huh? I'm not into it. So I'm not up on on the prices. No, the doctors would testify that Brown did exhibit some psychotic symptoms, but that there wasn't any like um, anything in her past behavior that would demonstrate a propensity for violence. Um, She wasn't bipolar. She didn't have any mood disorders or schizophrenia, but in so that she just the addiction and the abuse as a child. Yes. And that's what, um, and that's what they're saying. So, and they also testified that she was not under any extreme emotional distress at the time of the murder. They did confirm that she suffered from repeated traumas, addictions, physically and sexually abusive relationships, negative community influences and exposures to violence in both her childhood and adult life. Wow. Yeah. She has a lot of trauma, obviously. And that's like her life. That's what she's grown up with. She doesn't know any different. But she's trying. I mean, still, there's just no absolute no excuse for what she did to that poor girl. No. However, you know, I'm sad that her life I'm sad for all people who live like this, but not everybody does things like that. No, not at all. I mean, if I were a jury member, I don't know if any of this would sway me whatsoever. Right. And that's kind of what I want to, you know, I want to talk about. I want to kind of give you the details. I want to talk about like, what do you think if this happened? Would you, as jury members, would we, how would we take this? Okay. How would we use this information? Um, so the doctor, this, ba- uh-huh. this is during, this is during her, um, penalty phase, like when they're yes. getting sentenced. Yes. So is it the same jury? I can't remember if it's the same jury. Yes. It is the same jury. Okay. Yeah. Cause they've already heard all the testimony already- and all. Yeah. Yes. It's all, yeah. It's always so, the same so jury. Now they get to look at her mitigating factors and this is what you're bringing in right now. Yes. Yes. Right. So Dr. Bailey would not diagnose Brown, um, with any condition other than dependence on crack cocaine which was technically in remission because she had been in jail up to this point. So can't, by the time can't addictions like that and trauma lead to like sociopathy, like, you know, sociopath that's sociopathic behavior. Isn't it? I mean, I, well, she does. Right. They also testify that she does ex, um, express uh, remorse. So, but I mean, that could be a show. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but Dr. Brown does testify. I mean, Dr. Bailey testified that Tina Brown did not deny her involvement in the murder and that she felt remorse for her actions. Now, Dr. Bingham, who is the state's expert, testified that he conducted a mental status evaluation on Tina Brown and concluded that she did not exhibit signs of psychosis and possessed an, an intelligent level in low average range. And that could be from drug abuse, I would think, too. I think that, you know, that can like dumb, dumb you down. Um, he further testified that Brown exhibited anger and rage and that there's no indication that um, those feelings inhibited her ability to think clearly or to recognize right from wrong. So what they're saying here is, is while she was anger, she had anger and she had rage, it didn't stop her from thinking clearly. Like she wasn't so frenzied that she couldn't, she didn't, it's not like she couldn't tell right from wrong. Right. Um, So he concluded that Brown's actions on the night of the attack demonstrated pre-planning, direction, and were goal-oriented. He found no evidence that 
Tina lacked capacity to conform her conduct to the requirements of the law. I'm sorry for Aaron, because that's where as a jury, well, we'll talk about it right after you're Mm -hmm. finished. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he um, found that no evidence that Tina Brown lacked capacity to conform her conduct um, to conform her conduct to the requirements of law or that she exhibited diminished capacity in understanding the criminality of her conduct. He concluded that she was not under extreme stress, as I already said, um, or experiencing emotional disturbance. And he also concluded that while there was substantial trauma in her life, there was no cause and effect relationship between Brown's past to her actions murdering Zim. But of course, they're going to try to use her past as, oh, well, she's a traumatized individual. She had a bad, you know, she didn't know any better. Okay. So what were you going to say? So what I was going to say is that, you know, he said that she premeditated. Is that what he said? Premeditated. And what else? Well, preplanned. Preplanned. Okay. So I will agree with that. But then you read a little further and I don't see that on the slide. He said something about, you know, she knew what she was doing the whole time throughout the entire crime. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's the case, then why the hell does she not clean up the crime scene? Leave the clothes, the isn't this one where she left shoes and stuff at the crime scene? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mean, I guess they thought that maybe she just was like, fuck it. I put yeah, that on fire. Yeah, that doesn't or... indicate intelligence at all to me. No. No, he was saying, I mean, they were saying that she was below, had a low average IQ. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you said low average, not below average. No, low average range. Yeah. So that's still average. I don't I mean, know. The sharpest crayon in the but it's still average right low average i guess still average it's just the lower end of it i mean i don't know maybe she just is in a rage and that was just like i don't know maybe she thought the fire would burn it all up on june 26 2012 the jury recommended that by unanimous vote so no matter what, no matter her mitigating circumstances, I'm glad that they thought they decided that. Yes. I mean, of course she gets an automatic appeal. Um, so how do you feel about the death penalty? Well, I'm not opposed to it for this case. Oh yeah. I'm not opposed. To it. All right. I so mean, I'm not opposed to it either, but then again, I mean, when was the last time Florida executed someone? like a couple months ago where have i been <laughs> okay i just know that sure. it's, it's very very expensive to house a prisoner on death row mm-hmm. and get uh you know life without parole lwop to me it's <laughs> just as maybe even more awful than getting your solitary cell and being by yourself and not yeah i don't know i mean I think I would rather be just a wait. I mean, especially if you're in a state that has a death penalty, but hasn't executed anyone in years and decades, why keep putting people on death row? Unless it's such an atrocious, atrocious crime. And that person is a danger to everyone. Yeah. Why put that person on death row? Just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, well, they don't really hang out. I mean, they are on death row for a while, but not as long as they are in some other states. Okay, so I, w- I misspoke. 
Gary Ray Bowles was the last person execu- executed in the state of Florida. And that was on August 22nd, 2019. Okay. Right, just a couple of years ago. But the person before him was May 23rd, 2019. Right. So they just stopped because of COVID. It sounds like they do like two to three a year. It looks like okay. in Florida. They only did one in 2016. They did three in 2017. How many women are on Florida death row? Let's see. Because she's in there. Yep, she's in there. What about the other women? Have you did we talk about what they got? Um, we will cover it a little bit. Okay. Um, because one of them, yeah, I mean, I did tell you the last episode that they um Brittany Miller got life and mm-hmm. Heather Lee, I think, got 15 to 25 years um for her plea deal. So she got a plea deal. It was one for only three women. Looks like. And Tina Brown is one of them. Margaret Allen. She's been on death row for nine years, 10 months and 26 days. Brittany Miller, not Brittany Miller. Um, Tina Brown, eight years, six months, 16 days. And Tina, Tiffany Cole. She's been on death row for 13 years. Ooh, her time's coming up probably. Because they have to exhaust all of their appeals. Which costs money because that's the state's burden to pay for that. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you give them LWOP, I don't think the state has to pay for it. Someone does. They have to pay for their own or get someone to do it pro bono. I mean, I could be wrong, but I know for death row, it's automatic. It's automatically a state expense. Mm -hmm. But I don't think so for the others. That I don't know. All right. So they had something called a Spencer hearing. And I meant to look that up and I forgot. Hmm. So I'm not super sure what a Spencer hearing I'll is. Look it up because I've heard of that before. Okay. But the state presented a letter from the mother's victim. I mean, the victim's mother. And several records from the Illinois Department of Children and Families and a letter from one of Brown's friends. Um, Brown then apologized to the victim's family, stated that Zimmerman died a horrific death, and I was the one who participated. I was one of the ones who participated in taking her life. She didn't deserve it at all. And Tina Brown said that? Yes. Very. Okay. Spencer hearing is, is an opportunity for the defendant's lawyers to present additional evidence to the judge before a sentence is entered. Okay. In that case, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that a trial judge, oh, that's a, that's the um, precedent case there. Okay. So they can argue mitigating factors suggesting that the death penalty is not warranted or that there is additional supporting evidence, uh, additional evidence supporting reasonable doubt as to their client's guilt. Okay. So in this, they're presenting mitigating factors, it sounds like. Well, on September 28th, 2012, the trial court sentenced her to death. So- they found her guilty. They found the jury said, you're gonna, you know, they, they, the death is, death is the sentence. They voted for death, but then they had the Spencer hearing. So then on September 28th, I guess it was upheld mm-hmm. and she was the trial court sentence. Like that's when she was sentenced. That's what they told her it was. It didn't say now stand your sentence to death, be gone with you. They come back and, um, In pronouncing Brown's sentence, the trial court found that the state had proven beyond a reasonable doubt the existence of three statutory aggravating circumstances. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. Murder was committed in a cold, calculated, and 
premeditated manner without any pretense of moral or legal justification. And it, and this is where I was telling you that these are the things that they, they weighed these mitigating factors. And they're saying that this one is they great weight. So they, this was the bulk of their reason for their, the why they you know, were for death because it was premeditated because it lacked any moral or legal sense. And then the murder was especially heinous. Here's your word, atrocious and cruel. And this had great weight. They took that into heavy account. And then the murder was committed while Brown engaged in the commission of kidnapping. And they were like, eh, yeah, that's significant. They also found that one one statutory mitigating circumstance that Brown had no significant prior criminal activity. Um, and they gave that a little weight. They took that into, you know, a little consideration. But she really did it. I mean, she had the bouncing the checks. She had the, the tickets, but she wasn't like a hardened criminal. Those aren't violent. Those are not violent crimes. Yeah. She was not. Yeah. She made up for it. I mean, that's yeah. for sure. I, I just, you know, in a way, as I told my son the other day, he's like, well, I can't remember what we were doing. It was somebody's mom got, we were watching something and somebody's mom got super upset because of what somebody did to her kid. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, you don't mess with mama bear. And no. that is true. We mm -hmm. all know that. So, but I don't know that I would go to that extent. If somebody tasered my kid, I don't think I would take them out in the field and beat them with a crowbar and burn them, no. set them on fire. No, I'd be pissed I mean, off. I would be pretty pissed off maybe, no. but. Yeah, but I'm not going to be like enraged to where like all sense goes away. Right. That's just. So the court did find that one uh, Brown was a child. Uh, she was a child of a teenage mother. She was neglected by both parents and she lost her childhood due to parental neglect. She was abandoned by her mother and had a history of family violence, was exposed to drugs during her adolescence suffered from de developmental damage due to her parents' use and use of and dependency on drugs, was subjected to sexual violence inflicted by her father, was betrayed by a trusted family friend, her grandmother, when she went to her about the sexual abuse, um, experienced corruptive community influences ex and exposure to a criminal lifestyle, experienced chaotic moves and transitions, was a victim of domestic violence during her adult life, witnessed a violent homicide and served as a state witness in a murder trial, lost her wait, family, her parental rights. Wait, 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 back up. I what didn't did say she actually had witnessed a murder, a violent homicide and served as a state witness in a murder trial. Did you tell me this? No. What? Okay. I don't know. Do you have any details? No, no details about that. Mm. I couldn't imagine witnessing somebody getting murdered, especially no. if I was young. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that a little. Oh, really? Her, um, I mean, that is traumatic, but still. She lost her family. Her parental rights were terminated for her two sons. She had no relationship with her mother or her father. She suffered repeated trauma throughout her life, suffered from drug addiction, suffered from long-term effects of chronic cocaine use on her brain, was a productive citizen during periods of sobriety, was living in poverty at the time of the crime, behaved well in jail, conducted Bible study program, exhibited good courtroom behavior, has no possibility of parole, showed remorse, 
received a different sentence than her co-defendants and no history of prior criminal violence. That was the only one that's like moderately weighed. The rest of them are little to some significance. And then um, and number 27 was that she was using cocaine on the day of the time of, um, of the crime. And they did hold that into, you know, a little bit more account than the other stuff. As that's a reason for this? No, just that it okay. was part of her mental state at the time. Yeah. The trial concluded, the trial court concluded that the aggravating circumstances outweighed the mitigating circumstances. So her three aggravating circumstances outweighed 27 mitigating circumstances most definitely yes particularly because of the heinous atrocious cruel nature of the murder of adriana zimmerman falls into the class of murders for which the death penalty is reserved according to the court imposed upon brown the sentence of death and then then there was the appeal so now they do talk about how cold and calculated and premeditated so um in reviewing i'm just going to read this straight because in reviewing whether a trial court appropriately applied aggravating circumstances, it is not the role of the court to reweigh the evidence to determine whether the state proved each aggravating circumstances beyond a reasonable doubt. Rather, this court's responsibility on appeal is to review the record to determine whether the trial court applied the correct rule of law for each aggravating circumstance, and if so, whether the competent substantial evidence supports its finding. So okay. they upheld her sentence. So it uh, says also that the killing must have been a product of cool and calm reflection and not an act of prompted by, and not an act prompted by emotional frenzy, panic, or fit of cold rage. The defendant must have had careful plan or prearranged design to commit murder before the fatal incident. The defendant must have exhibited heightened premeditation and there must have been no pretense or moral no pretense of moral or legal justification. And, and it did because this all didn't happen on the same day. She didn't tase the daughter and then the mom fly into a rage. She was like, no, we're never going to get this bitch back over here. And they totally, I mean, it was planned. They were they up. planning to murder her or just kick her ass? Well, Brittany Miller told her friend, we're going to murder Adriana when she gets over. All right. So, okay. So she told that. I remember you mentioning that, but I didn't realize she said that beforehand. I thought she said it after. Yeah. She's like, we're going to kill this bitch. We're going to get her. And then when they took her to the field, the daughter was like jumping up and down going, remember burn bitch burn. Oh I mean, God. she was fucking psychotic too. And you All said right. she got life or she life All right. without so they, girl. Mm -hmm. And um, they do, you know, they talk about the extreme anger and rage also. So the evidence presented during this trial established that Brown, her daughter, Brittany Miller and Zimmerman had a relationship that was frequently involved in fightings. And, you know, they were always bickering. They were always fighting. So several days before the murder, Miller apparently upset um, with Zimmerman. That's when she like attacked her. And I, I mean, I don't know. I don't walk around with a stun gun, but I guess if I was, I, I don't understand why if she had that lifestyle and it's i i mean i can see why people would have weapons with them if yeah. you're in that kind of lifestyle where you're, you know there's all that violence and stuff mm -hmm. i would probably protect myself yeah i mean i guess if you know when we don't I know, don't know I mean, how close to tasing someone i would actually ever get unless you know i was really afraid for my life yeah i mean i don't know i mean just so i mean let's so let's talk about this for a second 
Okay. So the extreme rage and anger or extreme anger and rage. Now there is no history up of that. I read, and even the doctor said that, that there was any evidence of her being having bipolar or any schizophrenia or anything like this. And if she did cocaine that day, especially if she smoked $700 worth of cocaine, that's not a mitigating factor to me. But do you think that that would cause extreme anger and rage? I mean, absolutely. But is that a mitigating factor? You, you know, no, if you Mm -hmm. choose to do drugs and get like that and you're responsible for your actions. No, I mean, I completely agree. Um, the Dr. Bingham found no indication that Brown's rage and anger, um, like diminished her ability to know right from wrong. Right. And, um, he testified that the, that during the entirety of the criminal episode, Tina exhibited pre-planning direction, goal orientation. Like, I mean, like she had a, like a, she did somewhat have a plan. And I think, you know, like you brought up with the, um, the evidence that they left behind that wasn't originally in her plan. So maybe she was not able to be able to really deviate from her plan that she had, you know, fixated on, I guess. And maybe that's why she was like, no, that's not part of the plan. I can't. And they brought gasoline, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's and premeditation. Was, yeah. No, I mean, she was, this is, I mean, insane. I'm curious, that, like where they took her. It was in a field you said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine. No, not at all. And so that brings us to the use of cocaine. Like you said, you said, that's not a mitigating factor. Um, use of cocaine on the day of the murder. It says the record demonstrates that Brown had a significant problems with drug abuse and addiction throughout her whole life. Brown grew up in a home where drugs were both used and sold. She began using cocaine at a young age, spent the majority of her life surrounded by drugs and alcohol, constantly struggled with addiction. Around the time of the murder, she had relapsed and was abusing drugs that she was obtaining through the exchange of sex with her friend's husband. Despite these difficult circumstances, um, they concluded that Brown's chronic drug addiction does not preclude a finding for, um, you know, it's not a mitigating factor. They're finding that, you if know, there is, if there even is a mitigating factor that I would consider, if I had been on that jury, it would possibly be the fact that her dad was in a gang. She grew up in gang, you know, I don't know, gang violence, you know, she's used to that. You mess with me, then we're going to retaliate. If that's her mindset, to me, that's how she grew up. That's, that was a belief that could possibly be a mitigating factor, but in a society where we have rule of law, we need to make sure that, you know, we're safe to me. Nope. It's not a mitigating factor. Well, the court explains that a chronic drug abuser can still act in accordance with a deliberate plan where the evidence indicates the person was fully cognizant of his or her actions at the time of the murder. I mean, they're trying to get her off or to get her, you know, to get her off, at least off of death row. So Brown um, also told the Dr. Bailey that at at some unknown time on the day of the murder, she had smoked the $700 worth of cocaine. Now, because I don't smoke crack, so I don't know what is, I mean, I know what the difference in crack and cocaine is. I know that, I mean, basically crack, when you smoke cocaine, it's crack. But is there like a, does it 
I don't know. I think it's pure. It might go to your system in a different way. I don't yeah, know. I'm trying to like it. I, I, I guess it's more your lungs via through your. Yeah, I just don't like, does it, are you more fucked up when you do? I guess that's what I'm trying to, I don't know. I guess. Don't that's, say. I don't know. I don't know anybody that would know either. <laughs> Siri, do you know? Um, let's see. Brown neither quantified how much crack she smoked, nor did she convey to Dr. Bingham, Bingham or Dr. Bailey what time of the day she smoked this. So if she smoked it in the morning and she was coming down from this high, I could see where that might make her really fucking angry and crazy. Um, you know, kind of like if you've ever taken any kind of like diet pill or, you know, sometimes people crash drinking coffee. So I'm sure that there's some sort of crash to that speed high. Cause I mean, that's what it is. It's giving them a rush. So I wonder if that it was, I don't understand why we're even talking about that because the thing was planned in the first place. That has nothing to do with. No, I'm, I'm talking like the, the rage like and the her anger. rage, I, mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Or yeah, or you're jonesing and so you're super irritated because you're coming down and you want more. Possibly. Well, this is what it's so weird because I just read about that today. Where did I read about that? Well, Dr. Bingham could not determine whether Brown was suffering from cocaine-induced paranoia at the time of her crime. But he explained that the high stemming from cocaine usually lasts less than a half an hour. Jeez, that's a lot of money for a half an hour. And it's often less intense with users who have a higher tolerance. Um, further, Brown told Dr. Bingham that when using cocaine, she would sometimes act comically and attempt to amuse the children in the trailer park. I mean, we've all seen these people who are like all over the place, you know, mm. usually they're meth addicts here. But <laughs> um, mm. what is she doing? like trying to like entertain, like she would be real high and like all jittery and trying to be funny and like entertain the kids, you okay, know, acting on. like a crackhead, like yeah. acting like a crackhead. Okay, That's terrible. Put it on pause for a second. Hello. All right. So while she sometimes was trying to act funny and, you know, entertain the kids and was all hyper, says on other occasions that she was hyper obsessive and would occasionally worry about being apprehended by the police for her cocaine use. So I guess sometimes she was paranoid, sometimes she wasn't. I just can't get over that. I'm entertaining the neighborhood kids. I mean, I guess she would, you know, thought she was being funny. And I mean, I could, I can see that. But there is no evidence in the record that Brown was experiencing any of these cocaine-induced symptoms on the night of the murder. Um, and um, nothing in the record showed that, or indicated that she who had been addicted to drugs for about half her life um, was in any kind of drug induced paranoia um, and that she again, didn't have any kind of violent. So basically it's just the same nonsense over and over again. You um, were not so high that you didn't know right from wrong. And I agree with that. Well, even if you were so high that you didn't know right from wrong, unless somebody put a Mickey in your drink, you're still responsible mm -hmm. For your actions when you're on some sort of mind-altering substance yep as far as i'm concerned yeah i mean i agree i did um also think that she was trying to say that like she had a different sentence than everybody else but she was like the mastermind behind this and um well yeah she's definitely the adult mm -hmm. she's saying the, it's dis disproportionate her sentence is disproportionate to the others 
Well, Heather Lee turned, she turned state's evidence, right? She yeah. testified. She took a plea deal. Yep. And, um, and her daughter, what you said, her daughter got life in prison without parole, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But she um, was only 16 I don't know at the time. I know that it was life in prison. Okay. So yeah. Cause she was on her, she was 16 at the time of the murder. Mm-hmm. And I do have some information about her here. All right. Let's see. So Brown was 40 years old when she, at the time of the murder and her co-defendants were 16 and 19 and she's still pissed off that they have different sentences, but, um, you know, they did different, they should have different sentences. I mean, I don't know, but so here's some, a little bit of information about the daughter. You ready? Mm, yeah. Brittany Miller, teen killer. <laughs> yeah. So she was the one who used the stun gun on her to like, they called her over, used her stun gun, set, they doused her on fire. She is the one who was beating her, broke her hand. She was beating her so much. Um, And she was given life in prison, but she did try to um, appeal, but it was upheld. Um, They upheld her life sentence who uh let's see does it say it doesn't say whether she has parole or not she she did um plead no contest to her role in the murder in 2013 she was sentenced to life in prison after the supreme court made a ruling that it was unconstitutional to give juveniles an automatic life sentence miller was granted a new sentencing hearing Mm -hmm. we all know if you've been listening to us for a while how i feel about these resentencing hearings but does she have to go up for parole every five years? She actually was resentenced again to life in prison. But yes, every five years, they will go back to court. There's one state that does it every two years. Oh, wow. That, that actually might be the, no, that's the John Lennon, the guy that killed John Lennon. Uh-huh. Every two years, he, he tries to get parole. Uh, he tries to get out on parole. That would be in New York. Yes, Rochester, or yeah, New York City. Yeah. Oh my God, what's his name? I can't remember. Oh my God. I was thinking about doing him and I'm like, no, he's overdone, I'm sure. Why can't, if you said his I, name, I would be like, that's just the good guy who- Gorsuch, Gors, no, not no. Gorsuch. I'll look it up, you just go ahead. If you said it, I would be able to tell you, oh, that's the guy who killed John Lennon. Um, so the Florida First District Court of Appeals affirmed- the sentence without comment. Mark David Chapman. I knew it was a three-person name, like a, oh. a three-name. It was a three-namer. <laughs> three-namer. All right, what'd you say again? So the court uh, uh, reaffirmed her life sentence with without comment. So she did not warrant any comment in um, their opinion. Okay. And Lee is currently serving a 25 year sentence. I said 15, it's 25 years. But she'll get time off for good behavior or whatnot. So yeah, it'd be 15, unless that plea deal specifically said no. Now this says right here, because of the juvenile status, uh, Miller will be entitled to her first sentencing review after 15 years. All right, so you have to serve 15 years of the sentence, but then- Maybe, and see the person I know that he was already in jail for 25 years once he was once they decided to go back and do that but he's still in he's still in prison 
Yes. The, his- How, so he's already been in prison. Gosh, has it been that long? Mm-hmm. Over 25 years? How long has he been there in prison? He, the murder was committed December, 2025, 2025, like, damn. Uh, um, uh, 1995. All right. And so he's been technically he's been in jail since then, but right. he was sentenced like June, 2000, I mean, two, uh, 1996, I guess. And so he was, he served 20, he served tasks Mm-hmm. And they resentenced him to 50 years and he didn't have nearly all these mitigating factors. There's like a checklist that they go down and that you got to meet all these check boxes. And he, somehow they didn't say that his crime was um, like, he wasn't a heinous person. His crime was, um, and the heinous isn't the word they use. I just can't remember the word, but he wasn't that type of person that one day that crime was, but he wasn't like a, he wasn't getting in trouble in prison. He wasn't killing people in prison. He wasn't fighting people in prison, um, which I took issue with that because he shot my friend 13 plus times, or that's when they stopped counting because they couldn't tell because he dragged his body behind a truck and then set him on fire. Mm. So to me, that's pretty hor- horrific. Mm-hmm. But like I said, so Miller pled no contest and like the, the, the Heather Lee person, I didn't either because, because she turned witness. And so she got a plea deal out of it. Right. Wow. Yeah. So they're all in jail. Oh, thank God. I know. Right. I just, I just don't know how I feel about this resentencing crap because there was also, I mean, I realized she was 16 at the time, but I mean, there was a girl here. There's another, there was a girl from where we live that was 15 and she shot a cab driver in the back of the head. And people, they are trying to get her. And she, I think she was sentenced to life in prison. That guy who shot the cop here is trying to get resentenced. He's going to be resentenced because his he was sentenced to death, but it wasn't unanimous. So he gets to go back to court too. I just don't know how I feel about that. Though. Yeah. I guess if it was my kid, I might feel different. I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I hope I don't ever have to go through it, but. Because they're saying, so listen to this. It says the whole reason there was a resentencing is because the Supreme Court decided juveniles could be sentenced to life, but only if there was a sentencing hearing that took place into it, took into account the child's age, the crime and upbringing. The defense says Miller had a life filled of abuse and neglect, and they will be taking this into the higher court. So they were trying to and see like my friend didn't have any of that. Like my friend's murderer didn't have any of that. He actually had a great life. Mm-hmm. He just wanted something. By his is, yeah, yeah. He was jealous and wanted something he couldn't have, you know. So that's that's what I got. So, oh, you want to hear more about Heather Lee? Uh, Sure. All right. So she, so at the time of, says Heather Lee, no, Adriana was 19. Heather Lee was 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. Also pleaded, she also, let's see, the daughter pleaded first, guilty to first degree murder and, um, and she, like I said, she just got off. Oh, I printed off some comments. Cause I wanted to read some of these comments of people who served with, I guess this is kind of like a, it was comments on a news article and it's eight responses to sentenced handed down in a Scambia murder body burning. It says, I know her personally from 10 years ago. She is an evil person. Who she is her? I know her personally. Which well, one? The article is about 
the woman sentenced Heather to Lee in prison. Heather Lee. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's the one that was the witness. Yes. Says, I know her personally from 10 years ago. She is an evil person. She, along with her husband, have done nothing their whole lives but sell crack, spit out kid after kid that her mother always has to take care of. She deserves the death penalty more than anyone else. But I guess whoever talks first walks. Hopefully she will get what's coming to her in prison. 25 years is better than nothing, I guess. But there shouldn't have been any deals made for God's sake. The deceased girl named all of them. So what better evidence do you need? Evil, evil, evil trash. Wow. Yeah. Because oh, they're also saying that um, like now she's born again. Okay. Um, another person says, I was in jail for a minor ticket when I noticed her in my pod. She was in there for this murder. She had a pair of headphones on. So I guess you're allowed to have them if you can afford to buy them in there. What struck me about her was that she didn't care one bit about what she had done. She was wearing the headphones, dancing around. She needed the death penalty. Somebody messed up. Portrait of evil. Wow. So that's what I got. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely... uh... I, I just, I don't know. I guess there's just a whole other element of society that I just don't relate to. Well, uh, yeah, clearly. Yeah. And I, I think that if I was on this trial, like on this jury, I mean, I can't imagine. Cause you know, just from my friends, even the resentencing, you mm-hmm. know, they bring out all that evidence. There's pain. You never would have been on that jury. They would have cut you immediately. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just saying that what I'm saying is, you know, they would have had to, there's going to be photos. There's oh, the, yeah. the crime scene of the bodies. I mean, they show you all of that. And then sometimes oh, yeah. we've heard where they say, oh, that wasn't necessary. And I just felt for my friends, parents, because not only did they have to live through the first trial, then they pull out all that same evidence. Oh yeah. Every time. Things. And so every five years, all that's going to be pulled out again. So, I mean, I, oh, these people, I just, evil evil and I, and 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 while part of me wants to be like damn their life sucks she didn't really she was screwed from the beginning i kind of feel like the defense attorney then's like okay well let's use all of this bad this, these excuses to to excuse away your bad behavior well there's no other choice that's all they had you know they're they're grasping at straws here so yeah. they're going to use anything they can I do agree that, you know, possibly with the right parenting, she could have been, you know, she, she definitely, other people believed in her. She got job as assistant yeah. manager and, you know, but sometimes you just take what you can get. When somebody shows up to work, you're going to let them do it. Yeah. Especially around here. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I mean, I know it was kind of, I just wanted to have more of like a little discussion, a little different than. Yeah, I liked it. I liked yeah. it because this is an example of, you know, grasp, like I said, grasping at straws to try and provide a defense for someone when there really isn't one at all. Yeah, there isn't. There is no defending that other no. than, okay, well, we're going to have to play that I was crazy or. I was, oh, poor pitiful me. I had a terrible life growing up. I mean, we're not talking about so much, so much cocaine. Yeah. So much crack. Yeah. I mean, no one, like you said, no one forced her to. That that makes me not want to give you the benefit of the doubt anyway. Yep. Oh, you're going to use that as an excuse? Well, I'm sorry, but I, I know that it's an addiction is 
you know, a health issue and people can't help it, but it's also no excuse for crime. No, not at all. I agree. But it does let us, it does let us do some research and talk about it. So, hey, (laughs) there is that. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us this week. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. And for more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. And thanks again, guys. And remember, it wasn't me. It wasn't me either.